I would like to talk about something here today that's very difficult to discuss. It's of a very personal nature, um, and it's probably actually the most difficult thing um, that I ever will address in any reflection about anything. And it's, I think, uh, something that can be said for all of us when speaking about that. If it's not the most difficult thing, it's certainly one of them. And that is this issue uh, of mortality and how much it affects us. Um, for myself, uh, I go through these cycles and bouts of anxiety. Um, and it's anxiety mostly related to my own mortality. And these are things that are very difficult um, to discuss. Uh, and even as I talk about them now, I feel an anxiety that creeps up uh, from not too uh, deeply within me. It's, it's often right there lurking. Uh, if not below the surface, it, it often breaks through and, and shows itself in a variety of different ways. For me, it's mostly through um, heart palpitations. That is, that my heart beats either more more throbs. It's it's like this it's this heavy beating. It's not even that it's necessarily fast or fluttering, although it does do those things occasionally, but. That is, it's often heavy, and that I can often feel it within my own chest, and it's like this constant reminder of my own mortality, and it's like this constant ticking uh, within myself. Um, and it's not necessarily that I perceive it as something that is ticking towards an end, or is something that is eminent in any way, but it, it just serves as this catalyst for anxiety um, because I can feel the function of my body um, in, a, in a way that, you know, makes me feel uncomfortable, basically. Basically that I'm even conscientious of this function uh, is a difficult, is 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 it gives me the anxiety basically um, and I realize that it's something that uh, is not a life-threatening condition it's something that is not uh, it's not anything that can't be overcome um, but it is the most terrifying thing um, that I've ever experienced and I've been experiencing it um, with some regularity for years and again uh, it expresses itself and, uh, and manifests in, in a variety of different ways from from these you know it, all, all, all in physical symptoms but um, they're triggered by usually feelings of uh, 
loneliness, or not lone, loneliness, but aloneness, uh, in that I'm too far away for help, um, in that I am, I, uh, help couldn't be gotten if, if it was needed, um, or that, you know, I am alone and something will happen and no one will be there to know, uh, or, uh, you know, I, when I think about it, I don't even really know <laughs> what the fears are, and, and that's just it, and this is all, uh, kind of building up to, to something greater that I'll talk about later, but these are all, it's all almost a metaphor, uh, for the common and larger human condition. Actually, not only a metaphor, but but a direct link to the reality of our own human condition, our own human mortality. But I'll talk about that a little bit later. But just to give you a very personal uh, description of my own state. Um, and this physical state has a lot to do with you know, my mental uh, health and well-being. If I feel that oftentimes, and there's a big problem with this, but I feel that oftentimes if I could only get over this, I could be my fullest self, I could be my greatest potential, I could, I could do what has been called upon me to do with greater efficiency and effectiveness. And... The problem with that, of course, is that I set it up as a problem to be solved, where where really one doesn't exist in the first place. But again, that's something else I can speak on more at some point later, because that's not really the focus now. The focus is this issue that I have within myself. And, but that is what I just mentioned, this problem that I set up, that it's a struggle against, that, that in, in that lies the crux of the problem, but it, and, and, and of course in the crux of any problem lies the answer. So it is a very important point to, to note and then to expand on later. But, um, to continue to set the stage... Uh, you know, I, I used to uh, not take as good of care of myself or my body uh, that, as I should have in, in a variety of different ways. And most, all of them could be attributed to, you know, a youthful folly uh, or, a, you know, an ongoing multiplicity of youthful follies. Um, in that I just didn't ever think about tomorrow, you know, when you're young, you're indestructible, you're invincible, and, uh, and you are absolutely sure of it. Um, and with a little experience, uh, I've, you know, come to realize that, you know, uh, with, with age, you come to know fear. 
you learn fear. You learn it. It's it's incorrect, but it is something you learn. And that's another thing to be brought out and expanded on. But this is, you know, this anxiety isn't present in most children, I would say. Um, unless, of course, maybe that child has been through something traumatic, but then it's a learned experience, and then that experience is all that the mind has to draw on, or it continually, continually relates back to that experience and siphons everything through the paradigm of that experience, and then you know causes this anxiety, which isn't actually a real thing. Because, you know, fear is learned, this anxiety is learned, this conscientiousness of my own beating heart is, is learned. Uh, and so it's, how do we unlearn it? How do we rewire ourselves? How do we refocus uh, our beings away from anxiety, away from this fear of mortality, this fear of suffering. And that's ultimately, you know, what it is. Um, and by the very fear of suffering, we, of course, create suffering where suffering doesn't have to exist in the first place. So, again, for my own self, it's all, it always relates back to this this heartbeat, you know, my motherhood, ever since I was a child, pounded it into me that, you know, we have a family history of heart problems, and, you know, well, my grandfather having four heart attacks and this horrible history um, with his heart, and, uh, of course, my, my grandfather had a completely different life uh, than we do now, you know, and he spent, you know, a winter in a foxhole during World War II, and the stress and trauma that is induced by that is unimaginable, at least to me. Um, and also, you know, medicine was very different back then, you know, my old, my old joke when I, you know, talk to people about this is, you know, after his first heart attack, uh, that came at, uh, the age of 32, I think, uh, you know, I imagine his doctor told him to switch, you know, his brand of cigarettes, so, um, and, and, you know, and stay in bed for two years, you know, um, so, but, uh, you know, I, medicine was very different than the understanding of the body, the understanding of how things work in general was, was very different, uh, than it is today. And by the time this is, you know, a legitimate concern for me, uh, uh, it will be very different than it is now, I imagine. But, see, I, I make it some sort of concern for me at this point, you know. I, I'm aware of the fact that, uh, you know, I could uh, uh, have some sort of, uh, you know, of, of heart failure or heart problems at any point, and uh, 
uh, just as we all could, I mean. But the fear is so exaggerated. Uh, and, you know, I, I, in all likelihood, have just as great of a chance uh, as being struck by a meteor, um, a much greater chance of being in a car accident or dying some terribly painful, you know, horrible other way uh, or suffering. And, and uh, but, but now, just when I thought that, you know, I was out of the, the clear with all of these heart problems and, you know, my mom is one of seven children um, who are all now, you know, in their, in their 50s and 60s. Um, and just when, you know, none of them have, uh, exhibit, or, uh, I mean, well, they, they have high blood pressure, most of them, and, uh, some are on, you know, cholesterol medication, and this, that, and the other thing, and I've seen the way that they used to drink and eat, um, and I'm not sure how much exercise, you know, they all get, but, uh, um, you know, just when I thought that these fears were, something exaggerated by my mother. My mother herself is the one who, just a month ago, uh, has a heart attack. Um, now, albeit a small one that degenerated into uh, some larger problems because she didn't seek treatment and help right away. Um, but, uh, um, and she lived and had sustained no damage miraculously to her heart. Um, but, and my mother has never exercised a day in her life, so she's never helped herself out there where I, you know, walk every day and, uh, uh, I've recently changed my diet, I've quit smoking, I've done all these proper things and taken in all the proper measures, uh, and there are, there are things that I not only psychologically but physically feel uh, good about and can see, you know, the weight loss and can feel my body changing in a way. But I think that this is this recent rash of palpitations and anxiety has contributed to that change. It's almost like a growing pain. Um, this 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 temporal sort of, you know happening that that as I get older again I'm more aware of the fact that I need to change some of these habits and do some of these things that uh, I should have been doing a long time ago but um, and my body is is rewiring itself and you know I am getting healthier um, and yet this anxiety persists um, and, uh, I need, it needs to be addressed, and it needs to be worked with, and, uh, it needs to be not combated, because that's the wrong way to do business with a problem, because we're always trying to combat our problems, right? Always. We're always trying to get a leg up on them. We're always trying to to battle them. And what we should be doing, what we always should be doing, is simply observing them. And then in a non-violent way, not, react, not necessarily reacting to them, but 
embracing them. Turning the other cheek, sort of, non-violently. <laughs> it's God's way. It's the universe's way. It's lay lower, accept the happening, and by your acceptance of it, then, then you can deal with it. And this is, this problem that I've had, I mean, I don't ever speak of. I'm, I'm terrified to speak of it because I'm afraid it's such, it's such childish and ridiculous thoughts that I've woven and spun into my mind, but, you know, I've been afraid that if I say them out loud like some mystical spell or omen, you know, it'll come true. Um, that the reality, or that, as if as if the universe was out to play some huge practical joke on me with my own life. What mistrust and what foolishness that is of me to think that the very thing that supports and sustains me would be out to harm me in any way ultimately and I know I think I, I threw that that caveat on there and saying ultimately um, because or the that that extra Maybe not quite a caffeine, but that that extra word, that extra thought on there, because I am aware of how many people go through what appears to them as uh, unnecessary suffering, and I think that's the definition of suffering—something that happens to an individual, uh, which is in any way a hardship on that person. Uh, compounded by the fact that it is either by not uh, an undertaking that is caused or uh, an action or a happening that is caused not by their own undertaking that is it's not something that they've brought on by themselves you know the most famous example that I can think of is you know, a baby animal you know loses um, it's family in a forest fire and is badly burned and staggers for days and, you know, then, then dies needlessly. Um, although, you know, I know I'm throwing out a lot of, uh, I, I'm, I'm bringing a lot of theoretical cul-de-sacs out here, uh, but, uh, I'm not, I'm not here to explore that per se. Um, but I, but I do have some thoughts on on the reality of that, um, it, it, how real that actual happening is, or if that's more of a mental construction in the way we perceive things. But anyways, I think that there is, I have a giant mistrust in the way that the universe operates as I think that we all do. And I think that it's something that starts from this physical presence that we have, this physical nature of the world, this temporality 
this passing from being into non-being. And it scares us to think about it because it's something that's unknown. It's something that is the end of us. And we don't know how to define it. We don't know what it is. We can't look at it and label it in anything conceptually. And we're such conceptual creatures. So, from that, a variety of problems arise. Just by looking at that in our own brains, we have a variety of problems that we think, anyway, that we create more for ourselves. But it's this physical nature of our own existence that brings about this mistrust brings about this confrontation. For me, it's a heartbeat. For me, it's, that's where it starts. <laughs> I'm scared of the strongest thing in the body. <laughs> My fingernails, all ten of them, will more likely fall off than my heart is to fail or stop. It's a much more likely occurrence. I do nothing to help out my fingernails. I do the opposite. I bite on them. I, I'm sure I'm not taking the proper vitamins to ensure their best possible look and feel. Or I don't know. My doctor. So uh, <coughs> I had been so paranoid a couple of years ago, three or four years ago, as to go to a cardiologist um, because I would feel this irregular, irregular, irregularity um, in the beating of my heart. And this was the second time, actually, I had gone. Uh, I think 10, oh gosh, 10, 11 years ago, 2002 or three, ten or eleven years ago, I'd gone initially, um, after I'd gotten back from Mexico the last time I'd been there, um, well, my brother and I had done uh, a drug that we had thought uh, was cocaine, and it turned out to be something else, this is, we were young and just absolutely as dumb as we sound, or it sounds, and the uh, and it turned out to be another drug, and I'd, I was up for like two or three days. I couldn't fall asleep. I couldn't rest. I, you know, I felt this anxiety uh, for the first time in my body. And my body was not working properly the way that it should have been. And so ever since then, it's, this thing has lived with me. It's been amplified by this and that. And, you know, I had you know, smoked marijuana for a long time until, until recently, and just given it up uh, you know a year ago and I've it's floundered in my uh, my daily use uh, had floundered for years and years and years I had really been starting to be mineral minimal minimalized by uh, uh, well marijuana use had just been something that's been dropping off with me as, as I've gotten older and then and then about a year ago it's just 
I just stopped it completely uh, because it just does not agree with me mentally or physically any longer. So, um, but that's when this started, you know, ten or ten or eleven years ago. After this, very uh, a very obvious connection, a very obvious happening, and uh, since then. Uh, you know, there have been bouts of it. And, you know, that compounded with the the family history. Uh, there's been this sub-psychological brooding within me. Uh, and it's something that maybe I haven't, I just haven't been able to just shut off and that I, I focus entirely too much on every day. Uh, often, uh, you know, often almost, you know, it seems like, you know, a thousand times a day. Um, and it's a mental blockage. And again, it's something that relates back to this distrust of the physical composite of the universe. This distrust of the way that my body works in relation to this world that we've set up, that I have had uh, a heavy hand in setting up, that we all have to take responsibility for in a very real way, and in a way that leaves us no choice but to look at that and accept it or we will die and I don't mean metaphorically this physical nature of the world is directly what we have to interact with and deal with it is what is tangible for us. It's what we grasp. It's what we walk with. It's what we interact with. It's what we have knowledge of. It's what we can point to and say, when we do this, that happens. It's the natural, it's the physical, it's the empirical. But, <clears throat> is that all that there is? Is that all that that is? I think we have to look beyond this if we really want to get somewhere. Because looking at this, it's, it's limited. There are confined parameters. We are in a circle, and the circle is the universe. The empirical, the tangible, the physical, the chemical universe. Yes, you can mix and match all those elements and components and come up with 
you know, this splendidude of different happenings, and we're discovering those all the time through science and technology and advancements of, you know, every possible state and arena. But I think we have to get beyond that if we really want to grow, if we really want to progress as a society, as a people, as a singular person who's responsible for those two aforementioned things. We have to have trust in something much greater. We have to have trust in the sustenance, the essence of all of this. That which sustains and gives depth to all of these tangible physical happenings. Otherwise, we're, we're lost. We're lost in this hopeless surround of equally abysmal and reflected hopelessness. Now, critics of that might say that <laughs> well, you've, I've stated the, the very difficulty uh, with that and the very problem with that is that it doesn't exist. Those types of things doesn't it? You can't you can't hold on to something. You can't look at something and say that that is. If there's no empirical evidence for its existence, if there's if we can't understand what is behind that physical nature of things, through science, through technology, through our own gauges and measurements and barometers or devices, what have you, we can't measure it through that, then it's undetectable and hence has no purpose or no reality. To that, I think there is a great problem because we rely on only those things we rely we are nothing more than a tool. We're nothing more than a compass, and we can't be anything greater than that instrument which, we, which we've created to detect a very particular happening. A compass we detect, we, we, we've constructed to detect the measurings of the magnetic fields of the poles. A thermostat detects the amount of heat being given off, or I think, excuse me, a thermometer detects the amount of heat being given off in a certain area, or lack thereof. But we need to look beyond that if we are to really understand the happening, and if we are really to understand our anxiety, our existential anxiety, our self-inflicted 
self-perpetuated, self-imposed anxiety that is our biggest, most powerful and most dangerous enemy that we have. Because if we are able to get beyond that, then we defeat that demon that we've created and there's nothing that stands in our way between us and reality. But it's hard, it's so hard when we think of how much it hurts to suffer. It hurts. <laughs> it does hurt. A couple of weeks ago, I was, you know, in the hospital with my mother, and uh, there was something... I knew when I when I landed there, I, I left California and I landed, I went to, to Michigan where she was at the time, at this heart center, and I, when I landed, I looked at her, I knew she was going to be okay, even though she looked horrible, I knew she was going to be okay, and, and I thought about how much her body was suffering and how hard that was, and it wasn't, and I wasn't even as concerned for for her, ultimately, regardless of what happened whether she lived or died, even though, even though I, I knew she, she was going to be okay. And I, I can't tell you exactly what that means. I, you know, because for me, I, again, I looked at her and knew she was going to be alright, but I still didn't know if she was going to live or die. But somehow, I knew she was going to be okay. One way or another. And I'm not talking about because I know there's a heaven or I know there's this eternal place or eternal happening. I do know about it, though. <laughs> but that doesn't necessarily relate. Uh, and that's not exactly what I want to talk about here. Because before I can talk about that, we have to understand this I, I was in this angstful state for her because of the suffering that she had been through and it's so hard as I said to, to go through that suffering or to, to watch someone you love or care about suffer it's hard on them it's hard on you it's hard on the other people that you love. I mean, we, every, we all suffer together. Right? And it's hard. It's not easy. There's not one thing of it that is easy. And yet, it's somehow 
makes us stronger. And this is such a platitude at this point because, you know, we've talked about it so often through the course of human dialogue that suffering makes you stronger. And, you know, it's just like this emotional or humanitarian exercise that we go through. We, we treat each other terribly or we treat ourselves terribly and we go through the suffering consequences and then after that we come out stronger and better. And that's exactly what the fuck is happening with me personally right now. I fucked up my body for a long time. A long time I fucked it up. And now I'm getting better and I'm suffering. But I'm suffering because of it. But I'm getting better. I'm healing. Because this is what happens when you fuck up your body and then it's you, and then it starts to heal. <laughs> it's hard. You know, and that's what was happening to my mother when she was in the hospital. Her body got fucked up and then it started to heal. And it, but there's still a, there's a process with that and it's this happening. It's a learning experience and it's a, it's a continual teaching moment. And it's this thing that you share with all of being. This difficulty. It's scary, though, because you don't ultimately know what's going to happen. That's the thing. But if you did know what was going to happen, you wouldn't learn, right? That's why there's the present. That's why there's the now, because it's a continual new moment. And it's a chance all the time to see everything with fresh eyes and see everything anew and see everything, you know, cleanly. You never, nobody ever, you know, while making an important decision says, well, let me stay up for the next 24 hours and think about it. No, the expression is, let me sleep on it. Because when you wake up, it's a new day. And you have a new perspective. And you have a clean head. And that's why we live in the present. We don't know what the fuck is ever going to happen. So. My difficulty with all of this again, is something physical, as is, I think, all of ours. It's always this physical worry that what happens here in front of us is, is what's important. It's not what's beyond this physical happening. It's, it's, what, it's what's going on with either our bodies or our finances or our circumstance, our situation, our existential angle or bent in any given state. This fear of powerlessness. Something that I've been curious about and wondering about For years, ever since in Mr. Griffith's religious quest class in my senior year of high school, my first semester, that class was a godsend for me. It made 
my life, Dr. Griffith, took me aside one day. I, was a, I thought I was a stupid person until I was in that class. I was a, a 2.0 student, and that was with effort on my behalf. I didn't realize how messed up the educational system was and how it was just simply not set up for my caliber of brain and thinking. And I don't mean that, I don't mean to use that word caliber as if I'm superior to anyone. It's just, just that the type of the type of bullet my brain is able, is able to fight. It's different. It's just different. It's not better. It's not lower. It's, it's different. It's a different class. And I don't mean that with any, you know, with any, with any, uh, ascendancy over anyone else or just, a, just a different type. It's not, the system is not set up for me. And I thought I was a stupid person because of it. So I couldn't learn. I tried, I studied, Spanish and fucking math for, you know, well, for not all that long because I, I studied it and I couldn't understand it. I didn't want to understand it and I, I it, because I didn't want to learn it that way. I didn't want to, I, I wanted to understand. I shouldn't say, but after a time I didn't want to understand it. I wanted to, to learn it my way, but I had to learn it this other way. I didn't even know what my way particularly was. But that didn't matter. Because I was just... I was a dumb person. And talk about suffering. <laughs> that hurts when you think of yourself as incapable. And that's a part of suffering is this thought of your own inadequacies, your own incapacities. And it hurts and it's okay that it hurts. And reflecting on it, obviously, is still emotionally painful for me. And that's all right. And I obviously, uh, you know, embrace it. <laughs> but... This one day, I went, I was in this, this class, well, I've always, I'd always heard about this class, you know, for years, all throughout my high school, Mr. Griffith's religious quest class will change your life, you know, was the rumor in high school, you know, there are, there are answers there. And this intrigued me because I didn't I didn't see any answers in geometry. Some people do, and that's fine, and that's great, and I'm glad that they do. I'm glad that they have a different caliber of mind than I do. For me, there weren't any answers there. So I finally got to that class and I was a fucking rock star in that class. I was Albert Einstein and Thomas Aquinas and Lao Tzu and Buddha and the Pope all wrapped up into one. I was the valedictorian. I, I was untouchable. 
in that class. There was no one who could stand next to me with an answer. I continually, continually felt, you know, like, yeah, academic sets up like this competition, right? Like, but I, in this case, I continually felt, finally, for once, academically, I was winning. <laughs> and that's something else that academics does, which is incorrect, but another conceptual cul-de-sac that I'm throwing at you right now, because we're going to turn around and follow a different point and a different path of thought here. But one day, Dr. Griffith... Uh, after a couple weeks in, he uh, he took me aside after class. He asked me to talk to him for a minute, and I'll never forget what he said. He said, "He asked me, what are you doing with your life?" And I said, "I don't know. You know, I guess I'll go to college somewhere, and you know, be able to, I don't know, smoke and drink away from." You know, my parents uh, have a watchful eye and, uh, you know, kind of pitter through, get a degree and, you know, get a job or do do something. I didn't know. I was 18. And uh, I'll never forget what he said. He said to me, you have such a powerful mind. No one had ever told me that I was smart before. No one had ever made me feel... Sounds corny, but nobody ever made me feel special before. Like that. And I came from a very loving family. And they, they made me feel special, of course, and, and they cared for me and wonder. But it's different uh, when it comes from a more objective source. He said, you have such a powerful mind. I don't remember what he said after that, because I'm still stuck here, you know, almost 20 years later. <laughs> that. That blew me away. I, I, it blew me away. Even though I could feel I was such a rock star in that class, even though I could feel how powerful I was in that class, I just, to have him say it, who was like an icon uh, uh, and an idol around that school, a mysterious figure of some sorts, but so to have him say that, and from that day, my life changed. I, w I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that day. And the college counselor flew me out to Hofstra University, and Hofstra University laid out the red carpet for me, and me, a 2.0 student. <laughs> but this is something that I have, again, been curious about ever since those days. Ever since I was introduced to them uh, in Mr. Griffith's Religious Quest class in Barrington High School in 1998. Actually, it was probably 1997, actually. 
But uh, you know, what is, what is, why are, why are we in such angst? Why is it, why are we so concerned about the physical? Why, why does this override the eternal? I think the easy answer to that is, is that we don't believe in the eternal, most of us. Or we say we do, sort of nominally, you know, as we give it this lip service, but we, but we don't really believe it. We really don't have the faith that the preachers preach about and that the congregation says amen to. Now, ultimately, I am concerned with that. But again, we have to, we have to get to that before we can address that. And this is a very difficult problem. It's a very hard thing to do. And I'm, again, only using my own, my own uh, experiences with it. And my own experiences, again, are that I have this angst that something is going to happen to my body. You know, internally. Again, it's not that a tree is going to fall on me or that, you know, I'm going to get struck by lightning. It's almost like, well, you know, <laughs> I if that happens, that's that happens. You know, that's that's just sort of a cosmic thing. This thing with my body, I think, is more that I've done something to it, or it's something that I could prevent, or could have prevented, or this is I'm so responsible for my body. So whatever is happening to it is, is sort of on me. And whatever is happening, or whatever has happened to it. And I think that we can look at that in a larger way, um, you know, in humanity. But let me, let's stay with a physical, you know, singular, singular example for now and, and understand from that. Because again, as I've confessed here, uh, You know, I, I was abusive towards it a long time ago, and now I've been quit smoking. I've quit smoking for two and a half years now. Um, I've started to change my diet. I don't do any drugs anymore. I drink, you know, once a week, usually now. Um, but it's not even a crazy, crazy amount anymore. That's a more recent happening, but that's even going to get better now. I, I know it. And just like... Just like when I first walked into the hospital room and looked at my mother, when I, who was at the time just coming out of this, um, she had been you know, sedated for days. And when I had landed, she was just starting to, to come out of sedation, just starting to wake up. And she still wouldn't remember anything for about 24 hours or so later. And she was so heavily under. But uh, just as I walked into the room and she didn't look that per se good then, I knew she was going to be okay. I know that I'm going to be okay. Uh, and I don't even necessarily mean 
you know, physically. I mean, maybe, you know, I could die before I finish this sentence. I don't, I don't know. But I know that everything will work out, that will be all right. But it's, you have, I, it's almost like I refuse to allow myself to be comfortable with that. How silly is that? <laughs> I, I refuse to allow myself to be at peace, be calm. I, I am continually checking, you know, again, for me, it, it's, it's, it's a heartbeat. I've simplified it in my own mind. It's not, it's not like this complicated thing. For me, it's one thing. It's one fucking thing. <laughs> and that's all that matters to me, almost. And friggin' A, I have dealt with really quick... You know, I've dealt with everything. I mean, just the other week, I pushed my heart to its limit intentionally in front of a doctor to see if it could handle it. And it could, you know, so it's not like my heart's not strong. It's really strong. <laughs> it's like really, really strong. And it's the strongest muscle in my body. And I walk every day. I'm walking right now. I exercise. I am, again, I'm turning around my diet. And I know and feel that, I mean, you can not eat whatever you want, but I mean, if you eat, you know you know, relatively healthy, and then just exercise on top of it, you're going to be okay, <laughs> you know, that's, that's what this is, it's a give and a take, and a, you know, uh, this continual motion and movement within being, within happening, so why this angst, so I've simplified this angst to one thing, one physical thing, my heartbeat, If we could only all simplify it like like that, I'm lucky. Even though this thing gives me terror so often throughout the day. You know, again, because I, I think if I speak about it, some ominous, black, magical happening will occur to me. With, uh, you know, because because I, I dare speak of it. Because I dare address it. Because I dare look it in the eye. Talk about it. Expose it. And I don't know who's listening. And in my chosen line of work, uh, you know, that's a very dangerous thing to be exposing. You know. But any number of things could happen to me. And any number of things can happen to me. <laughs> but uh, the reality is that ultimately, in theory, I'm not afraid. But how do we face, how do we really become unafraid of this happening, Re regardless of what it is? How do we get rid of this angst and be accepting? of what it is, whatever it is. And in that is the answer right there. I actually just gave it away. Because to combat it, I remember the beginning of this, I said, combat is actually a flaw. We're set up to combat things and yet 
it's it's a flaw in our own thinking and our in, in our own conceptualization and processing of of happenings of our of how how we mentally physically psychologically approach things as we are trying to combat them but we seldom accept things for the way that they are we seldom simply observe and let be we're always reacting we're always trying to counter trying to outmaneuver We're never thankful for what is. We're never, we're so infrequently positive. <laughs> always gauging, always measuring, always suspecting, always fearful. This is our number one problem. This is our, our, our biggest dilemma. It's mistrust. That everything is against us. Hmm? Nothing is for us. Nothing supports us. Will to power. We need to dominate. We need to combat. We need to confront. We need to conquer. We need to absorb what it is that we've seduced. Fold it into our own ego. So we can pump that ego up higher and higher, bigger and bigger, fatter and fatter. Never accepting. Never observing never letting go letting be letting as is now i'm not saying that you know if i was having a heart attack i'd say oh well we'll just let it be no 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 <laughs> don't don't be foolish and misread that of course you know when an obstacle presents itself you you act within your means But that's an unfounded fear, is it not? You have to deal with what is rather than worry about what is not, what is yet to pass. And you have to be thankful for what is, whatever it is. Even if you're in the midst of that dilemma, that difficulty, that happening, that you're sure is going to be the end of you. Because you have to know. You have to trust. You have to be faithful that whatever happens, you're going to prevail. Even if you die physically. You're going to prevail. You're going to get through. But here's the trick. And here's the catch-22. Finally, a positive one. But a catch-22 nonetheless. Is that if you have this attitude, and if you have 
this demeanor and you have this full belief, this full faith that physically things will turn around for you and physically things will be better and physically you will conquer that which fears you've most fear. And in fact, you will be indestructible. You will defy human understanding of a physical situation. I don't think this, I know this. I know it within my heart, within this heart that I've professed here and now to be utterly so concerned about, even though I know in reality there is no concern. Nor will there ever be if I continue to treat it the way I am. You have to have a faith in the way things work, in the way that things are set up, and in the way things are. You have to know in your deepest self that there is something behind it. We all want to believe, even those, and I'm not even necessarily talking about a God, that's too far off for this conversation. It's too far away. It's too conceptual. God, we've so conceptualized what God is. We can't, it doesn't even mean anything to say it. That's why religion is losing its power. That's why faith and spirituality are losing their stranglehold on the human consciousness, on the human spirit, on the human will. Not, maybe they never had a stranglehold. I hope, I hope that they didn't. I hope that at one point they lived together very harmoniously and peacefully, but now they're, again, so combative, right? It's, a, it's another struggle we've put up. Religion and humanity. It's another, another difficulty, another thing that, that we, we struggle with. But God is so conceptualized that we don't even know, I say God, you say God. It's, it's two completely different things. And yet we think we're talking about the same thing. So we can't even begin to really speak about what God is. Is so I'm gonna if it's I'm asking the listener to put that away, put that concept away when I say I'm asking you to have a faith. But I am asking you to have a faith. And it's one not unlike that of a religious uh, plea. Because to be a very religious person, to be truly spiritual, you have to be trusting. You have to replace a hope, this egotistical hope, or a want or a desire with trust. That's faith. Trust. You can recognize 
and acknowledge a so-called difficulty. But that doesn't mean that that difficulty doesn't, it, you know, in the end, make you stronger. Make you more. Every, see, everything makes you stronger. Everything makes you more. Even if it kills you. Because you're just, you're not you. And that's all. You're connected to this whole thing. So everything is contributing to it. Making it larger. You, we, we can't talk about good and bad. Because good and bad have only temporal values. And ultimately, there is no bad. It's all good. It's all love. It's all care. It's all a process that moves and steps forward with itself, learning from itself, feeding off of itself, gaining from itself, somehow becoming more by only utilizing itself, by looking at itself, by interacting with itself, by killing itself, <laughs> by continually being fresh and new and alive and open and conscious. So this anxiety that we have is just unfounded. It's not real. It's a fear unfounded. And yet it exists. And it's a very natural thing for us. And it's something that uh, we live with all the time. And I probably more than most live with this. So, the question is, again, not how do we combat it? Because combating it isn't, isn't proper. You combat things, you struggle, you're going to you make more difficulties. More difficulties mean further from the truth. <laughs> further from what is. Further from solution. Further from actuality. need not to combat but to accept work with deal with observe not to struggle against it not to be angry or angstful but to be faithful to be trusting to be alive not to be afraid to be alive not to be afraid at all you know the anxiety is I've been reading about recently something that they call a, a fight or flight mentality it's, it's something that something that our ancestors used to use as a tool which you know either they used to you know fight against the danger or run from it i'm asking us to do neither <laughs> there may have been a time when this was useful but that time is 
has passed. Physically, we can cure so many ailments, or at least stifle them. We can never ultimately win out on them, or at least not at this stage. But we can live more harmoniously with the world, and live better, longer lives with the physical, with the material. But we need to incorporate that spiritual, that ethereal, that metaphysical side of us as well, if we're going to be entrenched and firmly grounded in this faithfulness and this and this trust. Because we can't let anxiety, our own self-created demons, win out. Because ultimately it's a battle between only ourselves. It's what we choose to focus on. It's what we choose to harbor within us as individuals and as a humanity. And as individuals, we are responsible for humanity. We comprise humanity. Therefore, we, in a very real sense, are the whole of humanity. And the whole of humanity is in us. We've given this to ourselves, everything that we have, the good and the bad. The quote-unquote good and bad, I should say. We own this. It's ours. So we've created this conflict within ourselves, and this conflict is anxiety, is this existential situation that we have wrought upon ourselves. And we need to look at it, observe it, not combat it. We need to live peacefully, non-violently with it. Because, again, if we attempt to combat it, if we attempt to fight against it, we become corrupted by it. We take on that, the essence of our actions. We take on the essence of our actions. We are our own creators. We are the chemists, the administrators, the doctors, and the patients of the medicine and the disease. It's a very powerful position. <laughs> very powerful. How strong we are as human beings. We think of ourselves as weak because we're constantly in these conflicts. And these conflicts make us weak, of course. And that's why we are weak, or at least that's why we think of ourselves as weak, but we're not. We're strong. We're strong because we have the ability to end these types of conflicts. However large they might seem, are insurmountable. Gandhi once said that if you think about it, love and the will to live will always prevail. 
that tyrants come up, tyrants and murderers seem indestructible for a time, but they always lose out, they always fall, if you think about it. This is absolutely true. And it is true. Because that's how God works. That's how the universe is. It is unceasing, unrelentless goodness that slowly, methodically, patiently laps up against you like cool waves onto a hot beach and slowly erodes it away. Ends the conflict. Ends division. Ends fault. Ends those barriers that we've put up amongst and between ourselves. Within ourselves. How foolish am I <laughs> to have any anxiety about anything when I am with and a part of such an integral part of such a beautiful and wondrous creation. <laughs>